Courageous, Courageous. Focus. Focus. That is our theme for this season. We will spend four weeks on this theme, and then we're going to jump into a new series on the following month, which will be called Courageous Fighting. If you want to know how to fight, show up next month. Praise God, i got some fighting tips for you. Because sometimes you can't talk, sometimes you need to fight. Come on, say amen, right? You've got to fight. It's a time to fight, all right? Time and a season for all things. Then lastly, we're going to end the year talking about courageous faith. If you don't believe you can go further, then you won't. Did I say further or farther? Which one is it? Further, yeah. Who knows? <laughs> Help me out in English. Which one is it? Further or farther? Further. Am I right about that? All right. Miss Teacher, am I right about that? Further. If you want to go forward, I changed the word. How about that? Make it work. <laughs> You got a master's degree in chaos, right? Sometimes I can't spell. I just have trouble. <laughs> there are times when you just, you just need to decide, do I want to go forward in my life? And if you want to go forward, there are challenges. Repeat, the, the, the four, there are four sermons today that we're going to, four series, four sermons. I can get it out. Come on, preacher. There are four sermons in this series. Today we're going to be talking about where you are going. If you decide you want to achieve something in life, you have to have focus. You have to courageously focus on where you're going first. Because you can't focus if you don't know where you're going. We are going to fill in the blanks. In order to get there, we must fill in the blanks. Focus is important. Once you settle on your priorities, like we talked about last month, then you have to settle on what you're going to do first to make sure that those priorities get the attention they need. That's why a lot of people pray, they talk to God, but they don't focus. They never settle. Okay. These are the things that I said are important. My marriage, my health, whatever it is, I want you to aim at them. So let me give you four things I want us to focus on. So repeat them with me, please. Please say, so where you're going, being healthy, being obedient, preparing for the end. If you're going to be focused, those are four requirements. First, know where you're going. Secondly, decide to be healthy on the way there. And I argue, and this will be next week's sermon, that we are not healthy. You see it in people, church people, pastors. And you say, based on what I can see, this is not a healthy way to live. Thirdly, then, just flat out being obedient, doing what's right. Not what you think is right, not your preference, but this is right. To say or not right to say. To do or not to do. You're in love with somebody, but you're not obedient. Your relationship is, is out of sync with God's will. You're not an obedient person. Saul, who's going to be our case study, is going to show us he just didn't want to do right. Even though God chose him. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And then lastly, when the end came, he was unprepared. We'll look at the end of his life, and we'll learn some lessons. So this whole month, we'll study one guy. What's his name? Saul, King Saul. 
If you notice in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 10, this is the beginning of a story about a guy who did not ever imagine that one day he would be selected to be king. He never solicited the position. He never asked for it. He was in no way the kind of person who wanted to be famous or highlighted. Basically, this was a God choice. God sent Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 9 to his house and talked to him privately and said, you are the man that God has selected. You are the one that God has chosen. You, handpicked by God. Samuel takes him aside, pours all on him and says, I want you to know that you're, you're, the, you're the pick. What's that like emotionally? So all of a sudden now you're the supervisor. All of a sudden now you're the manager of the company. All of a sudden you're the principal. Imagine that. One day you wake up and now you're in charge. Now you don't just have opinions. Now you get to make decisions. So this is where, this is where Saul is, amazed at this amazing opportunity. But what you're going to learn in his life is that he was a guy who kept losing focus on things that would not move him forward. He kept losing his vision. He kept focusing on the wrong enemy. And that's my question for you today. Are you focused on what will move you forward? Are you focused on the wrong things in your life that will have no ability to help you move forward? Look at the story and you'll see what I mean. We're going to compare two lenses here, okay? First of all, we're going to look at what you should be focused on at this season in your life. I want to talk about that. Then secondly, I want to talk about what God was focused on compared to what Saul was focused on. So you're going to find this extremely fascinating. Now, we're going to start with God's focus was, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, we'll read that in a minute here, was putting the best opportunity he could in front of Saul. That's why he sent Samuel to his house in chapter 9. I want to put this opportunity in front of you, and here's the goal. I want you to become king. Say that with me, please. I want you to become king. So Saul was headed to being king, and all that came with that. Money, servants, palace, everything. That was the focus. But Saul kept allowing unhealthy thinking and habits to over time rob him. Can you look back in your life and say, you allowed things to get in the way, you allowed anger, jealousy, whatever it was, you allowed something to stop you from focusing on the opportunity in front of you. Parents said all the time to their kids, you are living here for free. This is temporary. Your focus should be on school, taking care of yourself, not trying to get a man. There's plenty of time to get a man, a woman. And so here they are, 13, focused on a man. 14, 15, 16. Your whole life is living out some Disney movie you saw about how you fell in love at 14. And your grades are going down, down, down. Here's the question. Where will you live? <laughs> Who will take care of you? You're not worried about that because you're in love. And so understand 
this becomes a bad moment. Chapter 10, now verse 20. When Samuel had caused all the tribes of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. Now, when you get to chapter 10, verse 20, this is after Saul has already been notified. Watch what you're going to see. Samuel comes to make it official in front of everybody. So Samuel gathers all, and Samuel was the lead prophet. He gathers all the people together, tribe of Benjamin, which is kind of like his family, the Benjamites. He was from that tribe. And verse 21, when he had caused the tribe of Benjamin, which is the tribe that Saul came from, to come near by their families, the family of Matri was, a Maltry rather, was chosen. And Saul was the son of Kish. So he gets down to Saul's family, and then watch this now. But when they sought him, he could not be what? Found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further. And as the man come here yet, they're praying, God, where is he? And the Lord answered, there he's hidden among the equipment. He's hiding, another version says, in the luggage. Okay, so why are you hiding? In God's mind, he's trying to lay an opportunity in front of you. And instead of running to the opportunity... You're running from the opportunity. Now, again, let me just say, what amazes me is this is the man God chose. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. This is the man. You would almost say, uh, God, did you not know that? Why would you hire a security cat? Well, help me understand. And, and you got to back up for a minute and put yourself in the story. There are things that God has chosen for you to do, even though he knows you're not perfect. He still gives you opportunities. He may give you a good spouse. He may give you a good job. He may give you good clients. But because you don't take care of those clients, you'll lose them. So this is Saul's opportunity put in front of him. And here's what God says. I think you're qualified for it. That's why he chose him. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. God felt he was qualified to be king. The first king in Israel. This is an amazing statement. This is no dummy. This is a guy with ability. Do you know anybody with ability that won't use it? They're hiding and they shouldn't be hiding. Maybe you're one of those people. If you just think about that for just a few minutes, God chose this man out of all the people, out of all the people. God said, I choose, say your name, Mark. Mark. No, not y'all, Mark. <laughs> Trying to take your kingdom. What with these folks, man? They, they know you the man chosen to be king. Makes you queen, right? Mm-hmm. You got to stick with Mark, right? Okay, okay. <laughs> See, I want you to think about that for a minute. Of all the people. So I, what I'm struggling with is, okay, so well, why did you choose somebody that's flawed? Why would you choose somebody who would hide on the big day of announcement? You already warned him in private. That's because that's how God works. He's just plain ordinary people with potential. Now the question is, Saul, what's your problem? You should be saying, all right, hey, hey, my day. You must have read it. Everybody's going to know I'm the king in a minute. I mean, it's, Samuel doesn't come and just say stuff. 
Saul, you're not focused. You're not focused, buddy. Verse 23 describes him. So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood, this is chapter 10, verse 23. When he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. This is a tall, good-looking guy, long hair. This is fabulous, brother. This, this, is a, this is a hunk of a man, women. <laughs> you know, this is the, when you saw Saul, you go, Saul. <laughs> you might be married, but you say hello, Saul. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Saul. <laughs> Gee whiz. That better not even think about it. Anyway, Saul. So he still watches. <laughs> Some of you just caught it. So he, he was Saul and all the people. And, 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 you know, let me tell you something. Can I get off subject? Can I just, you just brought something back to my mind. I told this story one time how Diane was on the plane. And, and um, it was this guy. He was tall. was good looking. And she was, was meeting in Texas. And, and she walked up. I, I haven't told it before. I'm still trying to get over She was walking <laughs> off the plane. And, you know, and, and he was in some kind of business, some kind of something, you know. And, you know, you know and so she get on the plane, and he just get gackling and talking, you know, just a <laughs> You know, and I'm just saying, well, well, hey. <laughs> Praise God in the name of Jesus here. <laughs> and then they start switching cars. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> get out. So you know how you do. You know when you see a brother, you go, hello, brother. Get deep, I are you, and squeeze his hand real good, you know. <laughs> he was a big dude, good-looking dude. Anyway, I'm over it. Anyway, so, <laughs> what's that guy do with your sermon? Nothing. It was just funny to say. I just thought, but you know, it's really, you know, it's hard sometimes to be out. You want to lie, you know. You know, you, this is a good-looking dude. You know, you don't want to lie. You know, he's a good brother at the end of the day. He's all great. He's all good. And there was some he helped us with the business. Good guy. But my point was there was, there was something about how the Bible just has this, this knack of saying, no, he was fine. Don't <laughs> you just know? This is one of those good-looking people. So he's tall. He's good-looking. He's amazingly, he's amazing, but he's scary. He got these bad habits. And he just, he just, you just want to look. You, say, you ever look at a person with all this opportunity and say, what is wrong with you? You're too good looking. You're too strong to act like that. So he's telling all the people. And all the people shouted, saying, long live the king. Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Samuel said. And there is no one like him. Among all the people. There's no one like him. That's how, that's how God saw his potential. Now that's a, big, that's a big statement when you read the end of his life. There was no one like him. Parents, you see this in your kids. There's no one like my daughter. She could if she chose to. No one like my son. You know. You birthed them. You raised them. You raised them. Even if you adopted them, you know them. So all the people shouted. What did they shout? Long live who? The king. And notice when God looked at Saul, his focus was making him king. Compare that to how Saul looked at himself. 
Saul was God's choice to be king. God declared that he was qualified and could be king if he was willing. Here's the condition. To overcome any flaws and our tendencies he had in his life. But throughout his life, he consistently lost focus. I want you to see this. All this potential, but his big issue is he consistently lost focus and was overrun excuse me, by his own stubbornness and rebellious tendencies. Saul wanted to do what he wanted to do when he wanted to do it, period. Listen to these words, 1 Samuel 10 and 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil, despite all that rough beginning, and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? You, sir, have been given this amazing opportunity. Now, that was God's focus. Saul's focus was different. Saul was, all of his life, as a matter of fact, depending on how you calculate his years, some would say, for most of Saul's life, for a good portion, especially at the beginning of his kingdom, his reign, he was focused on one thing, killing David. Now, let me, let me show you how this all started. This is amazing. This is 1 Samuel chapter 18, okay? Verse 5. Look at your notes. Here we go. Saul, 1 Samuel 18, 5. Saul, I'm sorry, so David went out wherever Saul sent him. Now, this is important because in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, he kills Goliath. David kills Goliath. Great hero, right? Everybody loves him. He's 17. This is a, this is a high school senior, okay? This is a high school senior. He kills Goliath. He's amazing. Singing his songs, loving this guy. So he ends up being promoted. He's hanging out with Saul. So David went out wherever Saul sent him, 1 Samuel 18, 5. And he behaved wisely. A teenager, being really smart. People loved him. And Saul set him over the men of war. He's a teenager over the men of war. Okay, I guess so. He killed Goliath. This is a bad young man. Watch what happens. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people. How many people? And also in the sight of Saul's servants. He was not only loved by the people, he was loved by the staff. Everybody liked this guy. Verse 6, now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines that the women who did this, the women had come out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing. So there's choreography going on, okay? To meet King Saul and timbrels and with joy and with musical instruments. And so the women sang as they danced, as choreographed. Saul is slain his thousands. David, his ten thousands. Kind of like that. Anyway, some of you say, no, not quite. <laughs> but you get the point. This is choreographed. This is, this is like really, look, don't be a hater. This is really... This is really amazing. This is an amazing moment. They're singing, this, and everybody's singing, timbrels and dancing. And, and then you, it's just, it angered Saul. Verse, verse 8, Saul was angry, very angry. And the, the saying displeased him. And he said, hey, 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 they, they have described to David 10,000. And to me, they have described only thousands. Do you measure yourself by what other people get credit for? Do you get caught up in comparing yourself like this? They got a husband, I don't. They have a car, a new house, I don't. They got promoted, I didn't. Now, what more can he have? Watch him leapfrog now. 
David didn't say anything. First time he heard the song, too. What can you have more than the kingdom? So from that moment, read verse 9 with me, please. So Saul did what? I, David, from that day forward. Read it again. So Saul what? I, David, from that day forward. Two things Saul becomes focused on. One, he's angry because of a song patriotic women wrote. These were faithful women. He now falls into what I call misguided jealousy. So there's this amazing moment that happens. Watch this. The next day, verse 10, 1 Samuel 18, a tormenting spirit from God overwhelmed Saul. Now, this is one of those really tough verses. If you read this in King James, it says, an evil spirit from the Lord came upon him. It's it's really hard to understand. But you have to understand, the author is looking at Saul, and he's trying to describe what he saw. It's like an evil spirit. Got on it. The, the version I'm showing you here in the text is the New, New Living Translation. He calls it a tormenting spirit. And it overwhelmed Saul, and he began to rave in his house like a madman. David was playing the harp. This is the First Samuel 18.10 in the New Living Translation. David was playing the harp as he did each day. Now let's backtrack, pause for a minute. David was the guy who, prior to slaying Goliath, he was the guy who would come and comfort Saul because Saul had these fits often. And so one of these fits he had, I think it's around chapter 16 of, of 1 Samuel, they, they went and said, well, maybe we should get some music to calm him down because he'd have these raving fits like that. And so they say, get some music. Somebody cut some music on. Cut some music on, jazz or something. We need some, some music for him. He's, a, he's having a fit. And so now I want you to know he's good looking and crazy. Come on, say amen. You hear me? Tall, dark, handsome, and crazy. All that together, right? But God chose him. Say it again. Come on. Because God knew he didn't have to be that way. He's now falling off the cliff. Starting to slide. Starting to lose perspective. The signs that he, even if you go back to chapter 15, which we'll deal with next week, he's later on, he's just not an obedient kind of guy. He starts to do what he wants to do. And now he's having trouble, so he's depressed. And so they get David in, and one of the guys said, hey, I know there's this, far, there's this shepherd boy. This is before he killed Goliath. He can really play the harp. He is amazing. He, sheep be dancing and everything. He's amazing. <laughs> so, they go, so they go get David, and David joins the band. So you have to understand, before David slayed Goliath, he was already a member of the band. Are you with me? So, he's, so Saul saw him often. So this particular day, Saul, back to our notes here in chapter 18, verse 10, under the New Living Translation, Saul had a spear in his hand, and suddenly he hurled it at David, intending to pin him to the wall. But David escaped. How many times? Okay, that's a time to quit. But he's the king. You can't quit. (laughs) So, So you just have to duck. You understand? You can't throw it back. You can't cuss or nothing. You got to just, uh, okay, like dodgeball. You know, you got to just get out of the way. So he runs twice. Here's the point. This was what one author called an inward feeling of depression. Keo Fredericks and Frank said this in the commentary in the Old Testament. This, cause this was a guy who was just depressed. It's amazing. 
if we're honest, you can have a crazy moment. You can have a moment where you have these, and if you're, if you're a Christian, ask yourself, why do I have these outbursts at my husband, at my wife? Are you, is there an evil spirit? No, okay. Is there, what is it? <laughs> Just trying to describe it. I'm trying to find words, okay? That's what Samuel says. It's like a evil. Something just come on him. It's evil, though. It was evil. Try to kill you. So, this is a moment where you see a person can be highly qualified by God's standards and fail because they refuse to focus on, on where they are going. They refuse to focus on being healthy. They refuse to be obedient. They refuse to prepare for the last part of their life. They, Saul was a Saul was a resistant person. And so here's the point for you today. Are you like this? Are you, are you having the same kind of reactions? Two sets of closing questions I want you to think about. Then I got one special treat for you. Three personal quotes, questions for you to consider. Number one, have you focused too long on fighting and being angry with the wrong people? Have you focused large amounts of your time and energy on chasing your, big word now, say perceived Perceived. villain? Who's your villain? Who's your villain? Who's your Doc Vader? It's your daddy? Your mother? Your sister? And you're spending a lot of energy and time hating them. Well, let me connect you again. I'll say it again. Here we go. (laughs) There's a lot of time. <laughs> I'm glad y'all let me know that, all right? No, there. <laughs> I love Siri. Siri just jump into church service when she want to be, right? You know, she can act up, man. I'm telling you, no, mine has done it. I know, so don't feel bad. I get it. That was annoying. Wasn't that annoying? That was just right on time. Praise God, right on time. There, there are moments when, there are moments when you, if, you, if you're honest, when you're chasing this villain and you're not focused on the opportunities in front of you. You want to say, excuse me, sir, you're king. You have money, servants. I don't understand why you're chasing David for 10 years of your life, some say. Some say as high as 13. The range is from 7 to 13, but the average is about 10 years. So David was 19 when he got to be kind of in charge, 1920. All of David's 20s were about running from Saul. Your whole life, money, soldiers dying, for what reason? Our church has to think about that. And I want to switch for a minute. I want to, this is not in your notes, by the way. So if you allow me, you might want to write this down. This is really cool stuff, okay? There's a book that I've recommended to you before. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Say it with me, please. Come on. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. By the way, I've updated my website, okay? Uh, here you go. Some of you don't know this, but rickytemple.com. Say it with me, please. Come on. That's R-I-C-K-Y, temple.com. If you go there, click on resources. What do you click on? And you see something. It's right at the top. It says, read with the pastor. Okay? If you read with me, I put three new books up there. This is one of them. Along with, on the side, for those who don't like to read, a quick five or seven minute uh, talk. Maybe a 20 20 minute talk. So you can just listen to the authors talk about this book. Okay? 
uh, uh, and other books. But it's really amazing. You'll, I think this is a very short one. But Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's by a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And in chapter 10 of the audible version of this book, not in the written version. There's an updated version, okay? But this is the audio version of it. I was so touched by it. But he, he, he describes Christians in a way that's really powerful. He says, all Christians are not their age. All people are not their age. You are 30 years old in number, but you are 20 years old emotionally. Are you 15? And he calls it this. Ready? Emotional maturity. Say that with me, please. So let me give you the four categories. Not in your notes, okay? You got to write some things down. Here you go. And there are pins in your chair. Okay, I'm sorry. Please, if you feel led to put them back, allow your Lord to lead you to put them back. <laughs> if you don't, if you do <laughs> Okay, but here's the deal. What I'm going to do is, let me give you, um, can I give you another little clue so you can get the list because it's not up now. I'll fix this later, okay? If you go to my website today, right now, up there it says Discovery Sermon, a sermon I just preached yesterday, okay? And on that sermon... Uh, and for those of you who are watching this on demand, I will put it um, on the notes for you later. So you'll have it on these notes. So you'll be able to get them. But I'll hook all that up later. You know, technology lets me fix it later, okay? But it, the, these, at the bottom of that presentation is this summary. So if you go today, do that. Or if you do it later, simply go to rickytemple.com, click on resources, and here's, here's a real good cheat. You ready? Say, on the road... Notes. So in the under resources, there's read with the pastor, and then there's on the road notes. That's all the sermons I preach out of town. See, now you say, "Oh, I'm gonna be real nosy." See what he's saying everywhere. And so I put the notes there for you, so you can go get the discovery notes. That's where I first taught this. Okay, and it's at the bottom of those notes, and you can say, "Okay, this is the list of four things." Now, am I trying all I can try? All right, come on, praise God. All right, so now that's for you here and those of you on demand later, okay? So I've done my best. We'll fix it up later. All right, here we go. Let me give you the four categories that I thought were profound. Repeat them with me, please. Say emotional infants, emotional children, emotional adolescents, and emotional adults. You are not if you're not careful, your age. Here's a sign that you are an emotional infant. And again, all of these are on the notes. I'm reading through it pretty fast, okay? You can, okay, here we go. Emotional infants, here's what they, 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 they live like. They look for others to take care of them. They have a great difficulty entering into the world of others. They are driven by a need for instant gratification. They use others as objects to meet their needs. Emotional children, on the other hand, they are content and happy as long as they receive what they want. They unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, and trials. They interpret disagreements as personal offenses. They are easily hurt. They complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, and become sarcastic when they don't get their way. They have great difficulty calmly discussing their needs and wants in a mature, loving way. Emotional adolescence, teenagers, okay? A little bit early in teen, but you know what I'm saying, adolescence age. They tend to always be offensive and are threatened and alarmed by criticism. They keep score of what they give so they can ask for something later in return. They deal with conflict poorly, often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting, or ignoring the issue entirely. They become preoccupied with themselves. Wow. 
They have difficulty truly listening to, any, to another person's pain, disappointments, or needs. They are critical and judgmental. Here are emotional adults. They are able to ask for what they need, want or prefer, clearly or directly and honestly. They recognize, manage, and take responsibility for their own thoughts and feelings. They can under stress state their own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. They can respect others without having to change them. They appreciate people for who they are, the good, bad, and ugly, not for what they give back. Mm. They accurately assess their own limits. They accurately assess their own limits, strengths, and weaknesses, and are able to freely discuss them with others. Lastly, they are deeply in tune to their own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings and needs of others without losing themselves. I love it. Am I an emotional adult? Am I an adolescent? Am I a child? Or am I an infant? Good God, that was wonderful. It's on the audio version. It's not in the book. But that part is phenomenal. If I'm not careful, I know I've had an adolescent moment. Acting like a child. What is going on in your life? Where are you going? Are you focused? You got a villain? Your daddy, your mama, it's all you think about, talk about, tell people about. Hi, let me tell you how my sister, sister's so wicked. Let me tell you what they did to me. Let me unload on you my side of the story. And so when you meet them, you can feel the way I feel. That's fair. Sometimes the whole family is a bunch of emotional infants from grandmama down. Everybody. Where are you going? Are you focused on what will move you forward? Are you focused on the wrong enemy? Well, next week, we'll pick up on this. <laughs> I hope next time we're going to talk about courageously focusing on being healthy. Why are so many Christians not healthy? I gave you some hint verses, some read-ahead verses there. 1 Samuel 15, Matthew 23. Gave it all to you that to read. And please understand, unhealthy people have a hard time being consistent. You'll see next week, that was his challenge. And I want to say this before I get to next week. I can relate to that. I've had a hard time being consistent. But I'm fighting forward. Did you learn something today? God bless you. Father, we thank you for these 33 minutes together. We pray that in these 33 minutes, I have helped us find a way forward. I pray that people would open their hearts and minds and say, I get it. I'm clear. I need to think about where I am. My reactions have been very adolescent very childlike, not very adult-like. And I really want to be healthier. 
I need to get my mind off of my perceived enemy. say this and get right off of it, I promise. I don't like what's happening in our political dynamic, and I want to say this just, just to make the point, because forget about any of the issues for a minute. Whether you're for this or against that, the biggest problem is we're acting like children. The news has never been this way. If you have not known the news prior to this season, it has never been this partisan. You're arguing with people quoting news reporters who make, look up their salaries. The average one is $5 million, $4 million. The pundits, the guys who are giving the opinions, $300,000, $400,000, they're not there for free. They're being paid on both sides of the aisle. That's their job to keep you tuned in, keep you engaged. And your mind and your heart is all into this. And you have so become filled with rage and anger. And then now this week is over. There'll be a new one next week. And you'll live on this treadmill. And you will not focus on your life. Your trash is overflowing. Your grass is growing around your house. And you you inside hollering about somebody on TV. need to go walking. You need a nap. <laughs> you need you got stuff you need to do. Father, help us today. Focus. Aim. We need to care. We need to be informed. We need to watch. We need to know. I'm not for being ignorant. I want to know. I have to fight through all the smoke. But there is a time limit for this. I can't watch it all day. I can't be consumed every hour. I can't spend four hours of this every day and be successful. I can't build my business if I'm spending four hours a day in this. How can God bless us? That's an hour I could have been on a date with my wife. That's an hour I could have been working out. That's an hour I could have been reading something, planning for the new business, laying out the new strategy. I can watch it and learn, but I can't be consumed by it. So, Father, we lift our hearts and our hands and say, help us to be focused and help us to be healthy. Father, lastly, I pray for people in this room who don't know you as Savior. They've never given their lives to Jesus. They're watching from home, but they've never made a commitment to Christ. They are so focused on everything else, they forgot about their own spiritual life. So today we ask you in Jesus' name to touch a heart. May a person make a decision today. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need to get my life right with God. If that's you, if that's where you are, with every head bowed, every eye closed, raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying for. Say, yeah, Pastor, I need to work on my walk with God. That's my issue. Not everything else around me. Pray for me, Pastor. Anybody saying, just raise your hand and say, pray for me. I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me, Pastor. I see you. Anybody else saying, pray for me. I, I need God in my life. What you said spoke to me in a real way. I see those couple of hands. Anybody else? Anybody else saying, pray for me? 
Uh, some of you are raising your heart, I know. Father, we pray for those who are raising their hearts and their hands. And we pray for those who are home doing the same thing. May this be the beginning of a new life for them. We thank you for dying on the cross and making this possible so their lives can be different, so their lives can be changed. We thank you. We surrender to you today in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. I like the Bible. It's a good book, isn't it?